Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Michelle Durante Show. I'm your host, Michelle Durante. I have a great guest today. She's the author of two books, Chasing Cosby, The Downfall of America's Dad, and her latest book, Victim F, From Crime Victims to Suspects to Survivors. It's the story of Denise Huskins and Aaron Quinn, shocking, true, bizarre tale, how they got kidnapped and then re-victimized by the criminal justice system. Nikki Egan is an award-winning journalist and former People Magazine senior writer turned author and podcast host. Nikki was the first reporter in the country to dig deeply into the Bill Cosby scandal in 2005. Other reporters shied away. Not Nikki. She started from scratch and she just opened up this whole case, got a a whole bunch of new angles. She still continues to get interviews with uh, accusers who have never spoken and developed leads on, on stuff that's still going on with the case. Please welcome my guest, Nikki Egan. Oh, Nikki, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it because um, I I saw the Aaron and Denise the Quinn story on like uh, 2020. Mm-hmm. And oh, one of those one of those are Dateline. And it was just and then when I saw that you wrote a book about it, I, I it, it goes into so much more detail about how everything was screwed up. And how the police like dropped the ball, you know? Yeah. No, and I mean, as, it needed a book to be to tell that story. <laughs> You really and did. It, you did. And and the thing is, and, and then actually, too, and I'm not a Bill Cosby fan. I never really was. Um, I, he was more of an actor when I was growing up. So I didn't really identify him as a stand up comedian. And mm-hmm. uh, so when so I'm like, let me let me read the Bill Cosby book. Right. And it's like, oh, my God, this guy really is a piece of garbage. You know, yeah. and it's. And then I finished reading uh, Katie Couric's book and I was actually just Googling, like, where is Matt Lauer now? Because he turned out to be a piece of crap, too. Right. Well, I mean, I really started seeing that in 2005 with the way he grilled Tamara Green. You know, Tamara Green did her first interview with me, the second accuser, and we put it on the cover of the Daily News. And then she was interviewed by him. And we actually have excerpts of that interview on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And just the contempt with which he treats her, you know, is just very telling knowing what was going on in his own life. <laughs> exactly. And that's what's just so ironic. Um, you know, w- like looking at um, it's two totally different, the two do- totally different cases, um, obviously uh, Chase and Cosby. And then there's victim F from crime victims to suspects to survivors. So, I mean, and I, I am a stand up comedian and I will say one thing about Bill Cosby and, and comedians joke about what they know. And sometimes their secrets come out when they joke around. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. And I mean, I, you know, that's why we, it, we began the podcast with the first episode with that whole thing where he's talking to Larry King and about that routine he had about, um, uh, oh my God, what? the Spanish, Spanish fly. fly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was just like, wow, there it was all the time, you know, hiding in plain sight. It probably, you know, it was, again, I don't think that was unintentional. Um, I think he gets a lot of joy and um, pleasure out of teasing people like that. And, you know, saying, look what I, look what I do. I can do all of this and I can even tell you guys I'm doing this and you don't care or you don't believe me or you just think I'm joking. Um, It's very twisted. Yeah, it, it is twisted. And, and the thing is too, and, and again, you know, I look at it from a, from being a retired detective. <clears throat> Bottom line is that guy is he committed a crime. He committed a crime in New York state. That's, I think, a, uh, a felony. I think it's assault, too, when you put something in somebody's drink. So he committed a crime, you know, um, as it should be. It should be because it is extremely dangerous to drug somebody without their knowledge or consent. I mean, how do you know they won't that they won't have an allergic reaction to it? I didn't find out I had allergy to Demerol until I had hand surgery and they gave it to me in recovery and I broke out in hives all over my body and they had to give me an antidote. So had that not happened there, I would have died. Um, how do they know what else that person has in their system, you know, that they it could counteract with? Um, how do they know that they won't 
throw up. I mean, GHB makes a lot of people throw up and a lot mm-hmm. of these women reported about throwing up, you know, you can, you can, um, die from that. I mean, you could drown in your own vomit in your sleep. I mean, it's I actually, even- I know somebody that that happened to. <laughs> I, I went to high school with somebody that that happened to. That's yeah, a real thing or, yeah. or driving afterward. How do you know they didn't, someone didn't get in a car accident after he drugged them? You know, they're just so like Tamara Green isn't sure how she didn't wreck. Becky Cooper doesn't remember the drive back home. Her roommates found her passed out in her car yeah. and they took her up to her room and she, they checked on her for the next two days to make sure she was breathing. And, um, and that was from just a few sips of whatever it was he gave her that he made her drink. Well, that's the other thing too. And I mean, you're talking about when he did that, you know, um, you know, everybody now, you know, you, you associate big pharma, you know, like with the Oxycontin, like what 80 milligrams, what are you nuts? I don't like whatever he was getting, you know, you have to be careful how you dose that too. Cause had one of those women could have just not woken up. Exactly. Very easily. Very easily. And it could have been, um, uh, you know, uh, at least a homicide or at least a manslaughter, um, you know, uh, and that's what happens. And then, you know, w- w- like, it's just the arrogance. Well, I know. And, you know, when I first started covering this, I was in 2005, I was a Cosby fan. You know, I mostly from Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids and then yeah. the Cosby show itself. So, you know, and there is, and I remember very clearly, there would never been the only scandal that even surrounded him at all was about uh, Autumn Jackson, that who may or may not have been his daughter from um, Sean Upshaw. And that oh, happened. Yeah. That scandal broke right after Ennis, his only son, was murdered. Yeah. So I think also that gave him a lot of sympathy in the understandably so. And, and I felt awful for the man for losing his only son. I mean, my brother died when I was 16 and he was 19. And I saw the toll it took on my mother. I mean, she never mm-hmm. recovered from that grief. So I, you know, I, there were just so many parallels in the relationship between Cliff and Theo on, on the show reminded me of my dad and my brother, you know? And, and so, you know, so that was the only thing out there about him was that he, he had an affair and that child may or may not be his. And he subsequently, of course, had her arrested for blackmail because he had cut off her financial support because she stopped going to college. And (laughs) I guess subsequently her and her friends decided to blackmail him. So, um, yeah, so that was it. And I was just like, oh my God, Bill, Co- I mean, America's dad. Yeah. You know, when the scandal first broke in Philly, I, I was like, not the cause. I mean, I, I was truly just astonished. And, you know, but your job as a journalist is to put your personal feelings aside and, and try to find out the truth or at least the facts. And mm-hmm. that's what I set out to do. And, you know, I quickly discovered that the person accusing him was very credible, had evidence to support what she was saying. And, you know, then more and more women started coming forward. I mean, there were 14 women who came forward in 2005, but the DA quashed the investigation so quickly, it never really got explored. He didn't even talk. Bruce Castor back then didn't even interview most of the other victims. His office. Right, right. So it was just a travesty of justice um, over and over again. And I mean, if there are parallels, there are some parallels between that and victim map in that, you know, what happened to Aaron and Denise was a travesty of justice as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it was an example of of horrible policing, like the worst policing you've ever seen. And then the (laughs) best policing you've ever seen with Misty, with Misty Karasu. And the same thing in the Cosby case, you know, terrible um, behavior by a prosecutor and the DA, Bruce Castor in 2005. And then the DA who reopened the case in 2005, 15 was actually his first assistant back in 2005, Risa Furman. And then Kevin Steele handed the case and the way that his, his um, district attorneys handled talking to um, Andrea Constan and handled her and treated her. It was like night and day between what had happened in 2005. So, you know, again, we have an example of people bad at their job or doing a terrible job. And you have an example of people doing an exemplary job. Um, thankfully there is still that, I think in law enforcement, you know, there's ones who are really bad at what they do. And then there are the ones who were so good at what they do. They almost make up for the, the bad ones. Well, yeah. And, and like, but the thing of it is too, I just love these stories, like how <clears throat> they basically like shit can the whole, the police shit canned Aaron and Denise's version <laughs> of the story. Right. Yeah. If I ever attempted not to take a police report, I would have been called into the precinct within 20 minutes. You know what? I'm, and that was in 1989, 1990. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
it's just um it's just when even going back to like bill cosby nobody took i just don't understand how you can't take victims of crime seriously I know, but you know, it's still happening. And speaking of NYPD, another case I've covered since 2000, I mean, sorry, 1999, 2008 is um, the cases that started in New York um, with an NYPD cop, Kevin Gannon, who was investigating them, the smiley face cases. It was a drowning um, of Patrick McNeil. Yeah. This, this kid disappeared. And then 40 days later, turns up in the river, like 12 miles downstream from where he vanished. Didn't look like he'd been in the water for 40 days. Um, there were witnesses who saw a car following him when he was speaking of throwing up. He was leaving the bar throwing up. They suspect he'd been drugged. And they see like the car follow him and then turn left when he turns left. And then the police are like, um, you know, Kevin Gannon's supervisors made him like shut down the investigations. He was in missing persons then. And he was just like, you would have if you the theory was, oh, he went, he was drunk. He went to go pee in the river and then he fell in. And, you know, lo and behold, he ended up 12 miles downstream with no damage to his body from, you know, right. actually the currents supposedly won't even take you there. Um, and first of all, Kevin went to the scene and he's like, first of all, you have to like walk a few blocks, climb over a fence to get down to the river <laughs> to take a pee. Like, why yeah. would you do that if you're drunk? You know, but that's right. the standard. And then there was two more cases in the next year and a half in New York, very similar college student, male white college students disappeared and ended up in the water. Um, Joshua Bender and Larry Andrews. And again, right. they, they just wanted that investigation shut down because nobody wanted a serial killer. You know, they're like, we can't have another son of Sam. Basically. Um, that's the cop. He used to work in the in the Bronx, that guy. The cop you uh, mentioned, yeah. smiley face killer guy. Yeah, yeah. I know who he is because I he, I worked in the Bronx my whole career. I know who he is. I know of him, you know, and 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 um and I know that I'm very familiar with the smiley face killer story. It's not surprising. Just look at um the uh what is that documentary? The Seven Five, right? With uh, Officer Michael Dowd. I don't know it. Sorry. Okay, so Officer Michael Dowd. Um, basically, there was a sergeant from IAB. I, I, I can't I, I don't know his his name offhand. And he had an investigation against this cop and it got, just kept getting shut down and shut down. And there was a whole big thing with drug dealers involved and a transit cop got killed. And it, the documentary was on Showtime. And when you watched it, I'm like, dude, you're really a piece of shit. Like you're you were friends. I actually had more respect for the drug dealer, you know, because you knew where he was coming from. Right. And how he and, and it ended up I live on Long Island. It ended up that the Nassau County cops and the feds locked him up because the NYPD, they didn't want another scandal. The last scandal they had was the NAP commission. And they don't oh, want right. that. So right. then the, then this came out, you know, the Mullen Commission. And when you hear this guy talk and it's just like, you know, um, Again, you know, not everybody is like that. And and uh, but there were scandals that were shut down, you know. Right. And that's like Kevin. They, they had a partial plate from the car that was following Patrick that night and his supervisor wouldn't let him run the plate. He said that will cost like a thousand dollars. No, you can't do that. So they even had viable suspects or at the very least witnesses and were not allowed to pursue it. Um, and even with Cosby, you know, there was a woman who came forward, a girl who was 19 in 2000 who said that Cosby had sexually assaulted her at his Upper East Side townhouse. And it did get into the National Enquirer and the New York Post. They got leaked a police report. But was, what was so interesting to me was that Cosby's name didn't appear anywhere on the police report. Mm -hmm. um, his address was there, like where it occurred. But nowhere on there did it say that this woman said Bill Cosby had done this to her. But somehow, you know, obviously some cops must not have felt right about that because they leaked it to the media. This was but... this happened in in, uh, in New York City. Yeah. In 2000. You know what they probably did? The cop took the report and he wrote complainant and then witness. And then it's up to the detectives to name him. Yeah, but, you know, it's Bill Cosby, too. So you wonder, wonder. I mean, I, I had been told that he had a, a lot of protection. I'm sure he thing. did because nobody like, wanted to. Yeah. Nobody oh. wanted to go up against him. They didn't want to be walking a beat, you know, because they the repercussions. It's not even like anything about him. It's about the repercussions from the higher ups. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like and especially in those precincts, those high profile precincts, uh, things don't happen. But at, in this day and age, there has to be transparency. 
Well, there's a lot more because there's videos and people with cell phones. But what did you hear about Kevin back then? Oh, no, I just remember that. I remember him. He was a detective. I believe he worked in the 5-2 squad. He wasn't a. Um... Yeah, he was and... a missing persons then. OK. And so, yeah. All right. So then he he turned out of then they turned out of the 5-2 in the Bronx. OK, I he wasn't. So. All right. I'm thinking of him um, because we had special victims in our building. I, I remember because when Timothy came to New York to Philly yeah. to be the police commissioner, he I, I covered him when he came in and he I was with the Daily News then and he he renamed it Special Victims Unit. And it was not a popular decision, but he tried to bring a lot of the New York stuff there. Now, I look at it like this, like this is what, what grabbed me about Aaron Quinn and, and obviously Denise Quinn. You look at them and, and it's like they're two parallels. These so these are um white two white people right professionals where would yeah. you come why would they what would benefit them from lying well exactly why would they and, and that guy always say like and if you're gonna make up us if you're gonna lie about what happened to your girlfriend and the police think you murdered her why do why would you make up a wild story like guys in wetsuits with you know with uh, strobe lights and and you know rays that look like um guns why would you make that up i mean i covered the drew peterson case and yeah, yeah and drew was just like oh she ran off with her boyfriend you know <laughs> something that you can't prove they've never found her body like you make up something that's semi-believable you don't make up a story that is just so bizarre they're not going to question you. And the sad thing is, is, but there was so much evidence to just support what Aaron was saying. There was oh, the yeah, tape. yeah. There was the red tape around. There were, they'd, you know, um, gotten in through a window. You know, there was just so much evidence there that they just ignored the camera that the cop, you know, he walks in and the cop just unplugs it, that they're supposed to be monitoring him, found out later that it wasn't working because they couldn't get access to his um, Wi-Fi. But all this stuff that the cops, it's like as soon as he made that call, they're like, oh, he killed her. You know, they oh, yeah, 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 yeah. As soon yeah, as like yeah. the, and the, 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 you know, it was dispatched, the cops. Oh, yeah, he killed her. You know, there was no it was the worst case of tunnel vision. And I look at that and I see how they carry themselves. I saw how Aaron, you know, I just saw it on the news, uh, the, the clippings and the and the videos. Right. So I saw how he carried himself. And I remember I was a cop and it was uh, the day after Christmas. Right. And I got a call and it was a, a foul odor and it wasn't my sector. And you could hear me on the radio going, Oh, where's Sector Ready Central? You know, because they were always shit canning their jobs, right? Oh. So we go there, and sure enough, there's this deceased woman, young woman, probably in her 20s. And EMS is like, she's dead. And I had to get her father from the bar downstairs. It was like walking into a bar from deliverance. I'm talking real like white trash, you know? Yeah. And really, really sad. And the and the husband goes, Um, I went fishing yesterday. And uh, you could see the footprint was starting to make a foot like her chest. The footprint was starting to uh, sit, um, set in because he stomped on her. Right? Uh, OK, Scott Peterson, he's like, I'm going. I took my boat out. The yeah. Your wife disappeared. OK, but he <laughs> didn't throw her overboard like he killed her at home. And then he took his kid and he goes, come on, let's go fishing. And it happened to be one of the coldest winters in New York. Right. And this guy, like the way he carried himself. And I remember he had blood on his sneaker. And I'm like, oh, what's that from? He goes, the dog. I go, where is the dog? And the dog wasn't there. Right. <laughs> and the detectives brought him in and they did something where they said, you might want to bring in a, a pair of boots because it's snowy out. And they and then when they locked him up, they used those as evidence. That was her blood. On the sneaker. Wow. OK, mm -hmm. but you saw that. You can see how he carried himself. I know. I know. And his brother's an FBI agent and his brother. Was yeah. Right there, you know, and it's just and you look at his background and there's just nothing indicating that he would ever do something like this. And I've met the family. He comes from the nicest, most like everybody in, in his family is in a healing profession. You know, yeah. healers in some way or helpers or caretakers, you know, is. His brother's the FBI agent was in the military and his other brother's a speech therapist and Aaron's a physical therapist working with the most damaged of people, just like Denise was. That's why she went for that program. Right, right, um, right. You know, and I always say this, but the onus is on the media, too, because there's this rush to judgment when something happens. We just believe whatever the police say happens 
and then, you know, destroy lives in the process, like without putting our thinking cap on and going, well, why, why would they do this? Why would she be the real life gone girl? You know, I mean, Denise, there's nothing in her background either to indicate that she would do something like that. And Andrea Constan, Bill Cosby, nothing in her background to indicate that she would make up something like this or would extort someone for money. And that was the thing when I was, you know, trying to determine what, you know, because the first thing I thought was, who is this woman and how does she know him? And they weren't releasing her name, but I had a source at Temple Uh University who told me. And so I was able to do a nexus search on her and I saw all of her incredible background as a basketball player. I mean, she was one of the top like yeah. 15 basketball players in Canada. She got recruited by 50 to 60 basketball um, school, you know, colleges in the U.S., chose University of Arizona. You know, all this whole thing, her whole life was basketball. Yeah. And she wanted to be in the WNBA. She even paid for herself to, like, go on tryouts, all of this. And she went to Italy to play when that didn't work out. And then when it finally looked like it wasn't going to work out for her to play professionally, Dawn Staley from Temple, you know, Supported her for the job as director of operations at Temple women's basketball team. Again, like, because Tamara Green got really smeared when she came forward. And I, I had vetted a lot of stuff with her when I wrote my story. And I remember saying to her, I'm like, are you ready for this? Because mm-hmm. Even I wasn't prepared for the behavior of the Cosby people. Like I have written tough stories my entire career. Yeah, I was a 23 year old political journalist in DC, right? Nice. <laughs> Writing about Kevin, um, uh, Arlen Specter and his, you know, grandstanding and taking credit for things he didn't do. And I remember they called me into his office and I just, I was like 22 years old, 23. Yeah, and yeah. I'm in this re- conference room with all these big male mm-hmm. guys who worked for him. And they're all just trying to tell me I'm just this silly little girl. That's just right. being spun by these Democrats who just don't like Arlen, you know? And, and then I covered police corruption stories as well as the cop beat years Mm -hmm. and i'd still never seen anything like what the the stuff that comes down on you when you accuse um someone like bill cosby and you know the thing i didn't expect also was the way the media protected him and the way the media after me for reporting on these stories and the da was saying he was going to have me arrested for my stories and it was just sort of like it was very disillusioning you know and i i don't know that i ever got over that part i'm not really in the journalism world anymore i'm just doing books and some other projects and investigating right um because and, and that's why i have my own sub stack because i just i'm so tired of being controlled by editors who yep. have never done the kind of work i've done and making decisions that i can't overcome just because they have the word editor by their name and i've been an editor and i never did that to my reporters but it's it's very prevalent in the industry. And then it's not even them. Sometimes it's the highest level people. Oh, of course. Who, yeah. Who, I yeah. mean, all yeah. the networks are owned by corporations. Yeah. And yeah. who runs the corporations? Men. And mm-hmm. who, who are buddies with these men who are being accused? I mean, there was a lot of pressure on people not to run this story because the guy who was head on the board of Time Inc. at the time was Dick Parsons and Cosby was friends with him. <laughs> and no, I, what- I could you could see it. I can see it. Like even, you know, I mean, I worked in the Bronx. So the only celebrity that got locked up was Flavor Flav. And he was actually he was a gentleman. You know, <laughs> it wasn't too okay. bad. But like, um, you know, I, I can see like when I'm trying to think of when like one time I, I, I answered a job and I said, dude, I have no time for this. He, the guy was like. I'm bothering a woman and her child that lived downstairs or they lived, they lived upstairs. And so he kept saying that the kids were running around and they they were toddlers. He, she had shoes off and wall to wall carpeting, you know, and I got pissed and I just finally, I went down and I, you know, I just said, dude, you know, you got to stop or you're going to get locked up for aggravated harassment because he left a message on the answering machine. Right. Yeah. And he goes, uh, he goes, let me tell you something about the law. And I said, bro, I don't want to hear anything about the law. I'm the law. And he goes, maybe you don't know who I am. I'm retired Lieutenant Jack Demiglia. <laughs> and I ran upstairs <laughs> and he called the precinct and he made a complaint. And they had a, they he was a, a lunatic. You know, but they took the complaint mm-hmm. against him that, that the lady, would, you know, just to pacify him. And this was like wow. a, just a wacky, lo- a wacky lieutenant that was retired. He's, I can imagine what happened, you know, wh- what happens with with celebrities. They don't want to be the ones to, you know. Uh, 
like Wayne Gretzky, you know, supposedly they found public morals used to find him with prostitutes every once in a while. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's and and that's an old, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you. I worked in the Bronx like I didn't see as much of that all boys network because, you know, every precinct was shitty except for two, you know. Right. So we didn't. And then I was in narcotics. So when you were there, you kind of worked for a living. I wasn't on patrol where I had time to not do anything and make and, and, and you know, be corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You'd have to give me a lot of money to, to steal if if it's if I'm going to do that. You know what I mean? Like it have to be a lot of money. Um, right. So it's not it was never worth it to me. Uh, and I would get caught. I would be the one to get caught. <laughs> <laughs> Within, you know, well, because but that's what I'm saying, like, you know, people give like I can only speak from my experiences and I retired in like 2007, I think, um, you know, I so I had a much different experience in. In, uh, in as a female there, yeah, you know, I did have a lieutenant. He was in the back seat and he brushed this. He brushed against my my like the side of my breast. Right. To, to type a plate in the computer. And I remember I go, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm typing a plate in. I go, dude, don't type a plate in. I type the plate in. you sit in the back. You're the lieutenant. But my parents must have raised me differently. Right, exactly. You know, you look at these women and. You know, um, and just one thing that the detective, this is like one of the things that detective mustard, you know, yeah. He said that uh, in his experience, women have been previously sexually assaulted. They pretend to um, like to reoccur, to draw attention to themselves. I've never heard that. <laughs> oh, I know. Like, where did you get that one from? I mean, but so misogynistic. It's th just. That's what I mean. Like, it's, I mean, there's so many times in this case, I would just say to Aaron and Denise, I'm like, Oh my God. Like, you know, we're, we're working on it in the book and I'm just like every single time you think like, okay, now things will turn around from them. Now they'll turn around from them. Right. Finally. Okay. Denise is free. You know, all this. No, no. Then they hold this press conference and call the whole thing a hoax. And then, you know, the FBI is threatening to charge them both and turning them against each other. And then, and then they, you know, Misty thing, you know, saves the day and catches one of them and they know there were other perpetrators there. And then it's like, no, they gaslit them on that and said, Oh no, there, there was only one. That's it. End of story. The the FBI agent who questioned Denise, but, uh, you know, didn't question Aaron, which is really interesting because Aaron would have known where he was. Turns out to be the um, used to date Aaron's ex-fiance, who was the target of the kidnapping. And that's like bizarre, too. Yeah. You know, and that's just what to me screams internal investigation. <laughs> I know. And they filed complaints. Nothing was done. They're like, well, he revealed this potential conflict of interest to the assistant U.S. attorney. No, you're supposed to do it to the special agent in charge and your supervisor, but he didn't. And then that at that point in time, that U.S. attorney was leading the investigation into Aaron and Denise. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, it's just, um, <clears throat> you know, you can see why people get. Yeah, in, 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 I, I'm going to just speak for like I will speak for the people of the Bronx. They just want justice and they don't care how it gets done. They'll do it themselves yeah. if they have to. And that just stems from a community of distrust. You know, Italians didn't like the police when they first got here and neither did the Irish, you know, until they became cops, until they were allowed to become cops, you know. And yeah. now and when you see when you see neighborhoods that are you know, they don't have what what I grew up with. And so it's um, it's a little disheartening, you know, and, and, and they know that they're better off just taking it because nobody will believe them because they're less than because they live in the housing project. It's it happens. It happens. Yeah. You know, look at Gabby Petito. Yeah. Nobody wanted to take a missing persons report, but the detective on 9-11 of all days takes the report. He probably wanted to go to this, the ceremony, too, but he was the one that had to stay back. And thank God he did. And, and was like I used to have to do that. I, I got hurt on the job, so I would always be back. I would I have to answer the phones, you know, and 
But that guy, you know, and, and he's the one who took it. Look at yep. that. Right. He did his job. Isn't that amazing? What happened? I know. I know. And Misty, you know, Misty went above and beyond her job. Like all she had to deal with was the home invasion in her area in Dublin. But she right. saw that long blonde hair and she knew none of the people in her case had long blonde hair. And she got that creepy vibe being in that house where Mueller was. And she's like, I just know there's something there's another victim out there. I just know it. And ultimately that led her to Denise and Aaron's case. Just really good police work. You right, know, gut right. instinct too, but just well, that. she did her job. She did. She more than did her job, though, mm -hmm. because that wasn't her case. Aaron and Denise's case was not in her jurisdiction. She had all the evidence she needed for her case. Right. She didn't right. need to go after the long blonde hair. That was somebody else's problem. That had nothing to do with her home invasion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She went yeah. above and beyond. So yeah. Um, how unfortunate that is. And, and the comparisons, you know, it doesn't matter really what color you are, although if you are of color, it is going to be a little bit more difficult. You know, we're not going to lie. Yeah. Um, and it shouldn't be like that. Um, but, you, you know, you can understand why the, the, that mentality in in impoverished neighborhoods, you know, you can understand because that's all they can rely on. They'd rather just rely on each other. Stuff gets done. Exactly. Um, yeah. What's his name? Got uh, the guy, Alpo, Alpo Martinez. Look at he got killed the other day. <laughs> he was a big drug dealer in the eighties and nineties. He was a huge drug dealer. They wrote rap songs about him, and then he got he got immunity, and they gave him another life. But he used to come back to the to Harlem all the time. So somebody killed him the other day because he ratted. Wow, you know? I know. Well, yeah, there's that. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So like, there's they have their own way. It's just like. In, in, in certain people's minds, things are going to work out, you know, like it's horrible what happened with with uh, with Denise and Aaron, without a doubt that it, it's horrible. But they were able to get, you know, start a life and have a family. Right. And mm -hmm. hopefully not get re-victimized. But you look at Bill Cosby and it's like this piece of garbage got out of jail. Right. You know, but he thinks he beat the system and he did because there was nothing in that yeah. decision that freed him that had anything to do with the law. It was special, it reeked of special treatment. Um, yeah. So many, I mean, I just saw, you know, so many times I've seen stories or I've covered them where, you know, the police know someone's innocent and are, are willing to admit it. And so is the DA. And this person still sits in prison for years. Oh, yeah. You no, know, you know, and, it, you know, so the DA's office can appeal uh, that Supreme Court decision. It'll be interesting to see if they do. Because also for them to bar him from being tried a third time. I mean, that you that's like doing an end run around the Constitution right there. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about due process violations. And there's absolutely no evidence that any such immunity agreement existed. It was a press release. You know, it's so absurd. It's um, just nothing changes. <laughs> you think that you make progress, but you, you really don't like you do, but you don't, you know, it's like one step forward and sometimes three steps back. Cause there's still a lot of bureaucracy involved. Yeah. Y you know, um, and the saddest part is, you know, the people that get hurt by it are like the regular people. Oh, of course. Yeah. It's, they're all the regular people. It's not, you know, it's not, um, you know, like people that have, have money, people that have money, like Bill Cosby, they can buy anything. They can buy yeah. the best lawyers. They can buy. Actually, it turns out that R. Kelly's lawyer is going to try. Um, R. Kelly's going to try to get Bill Cosby's lawyer. I saw that. Yeah. You know, it, it just. Um, you can understand, like I said, you know, you, you can understand why people don't want lose lose certain trust in, in, in everything, you know, in, in like uh, in all like investigative agencies. Just because come in and they and you know they're not taken seriously the, the and and that's the cosby case that's all those women that went in there and tried to make a complaint yeah or some didn't because they knew they you know some of them even started about like just telling people they knew mm -hmm. what had happened they were greeted with such disbelief sometimes by their own families that they didn't take it any further. I mean, and the drugging adds this whole other element to it because right. memories yeah. patchy you know there's not that you should have to prove that you fought back, but there's no proof that there was anything coercive about it because you you lose your ability to fight back. You use your ability to speak. You lose your ability to move. And then you, a lot of times you lose your memory. 
And if you, even if you go to the hospital, when you wake up, a lot of times these drugs are out of your system already. And oh, if, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. For, and I look at like, well, if it wasn't for Hannibal Burris, right. Right. Making a joke, you know, and then all this me too stuff starts to happen, you know, and, mm-hmm. and even like Louis CK, The difference is that, you know, Bill Cosby, to me, they both abuse power, but Bill Cosby incapacitated people. You know, right, right. The two Louis C.K. thing, this is the deal. If you're a comedian, you're a female comedian, you know, you go up to to a room with this guy. If he says, hey, I'm going to start whipping it out and jerk off, you say, all right, I'm going to leave now. You're a comedian. (laughs) Right. Comedians are not, you know, I'm honestly, we become very comfortable with each other. It's like cops. We become very comfortable with each other. We just talk about anything because we're trying to write jokes. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not I'm not saying that what he did was right or anything like that. But there's all these gray areas in the in these um, in these instances that give it, you know, make it another layer that make it difficult. You know, I cringe a lot of times when I hear this. I cringe. You know, because I see it, too. Yeah, I see how it, you know, they don't pick the funniest people. They pick the nice girls that are going to sit by the club owner all night after they do five minutes of not making the audience laugh. You know, yeah. so I mean, I, I respect people like Hannibal Boris. I respect somebody like Joe Rogan, who, who brought it to light that another comedian used to steal jokes and he ended up getting banned from the comedy store. But like they took a stand. Not many people are willing to do that. You know, Hannibal. Yeah, Boris- you know, Joe Rogan, go back and look at he and I, I, I like a lot of what he says, but he had Bill Maher on just like a year and a half ago on his podcast. And they were both on there joking about Bill Cosby, but they were telling stories about him. Like, how long did you know he was drugging yeah. him? And oh, I knew since the mid 1980s. Oh, I knew since like the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And they were just. And they were telling stories about what a freak he was about some of the things he required when he stayed at hotels. But it was just sort of like. That just shows like everybody knew there were so many oh, yeah. people enabling Cosby for years, including the media. And, you know, I called them out of my book and they, they called themselves out finally in 2014, even Ronan Farrow. Oh, you know, yeah. Like I, you know, I didn't ask the questions I shouldn't have. I'm ashamed of that interview. I, you know, I did about this. And David Carr from The New York Times, Tennessee, I can never say his name, Tennessee Coates. They all did mea culpas. Um, because they admitted that they didn't want to report. They didn't, you know, and Mark Whitaker, the one who wrote the bio of him and mm-hmm. didn't include one word in there about these allegations against him in 2005, finally was forced to admit that he should have done that. And see, and again, too, that's what I'm going to, that's, that was my point too. When you said uh, Joe Rogan and, and uh, you know, they were joking around like, oh, I knew he was a freak. Yeah. He used to do this and used to do that. Yeah. Like all these people knew and, and, and that's what happens. You don't want to be the one to say something because you'll never get booked again. Right. I know. No, I mean, that's not their job. And, you know, they're after the scandal broke again in 2014, after the uh, Hannibal Burris video, um, Quincy Jones texted one of the women who had come forward, one of the survivors. And and he said he wrote in the text, I've been telling Bill to stop drugging women for years. <laughs> right. But, you know, and, and you know. But that can go both ways. Like, hey, at least he was trying to get him to stop. Right. I mean, it's not like you could go to the police and I, I suspect Bill Cosby's drugging women. They'd laugh you out of the freaking police station. Yeah. But at least he was trying to get him to stop. Right. But it was no, also yeah. an admission that, that this is how well known it was in Hollywood. And when. When Felicia Rashad, after he was freed from prison, tweeted that, oh, this was an injustice being corrected or whatever it was. And then she had to take the tweet down. Aunt Viv, God bless her, from The Fresh Prince was like, what are you talking about, Felicia? Everybody knew he was doing this to women. What are you talking about? And it went on for years. Decades. His first known victim from 1965. Decades. And so now we take and you take that and then you take somebody like a Matt Lauer. Right. He got sloppy. He got sloppy and he got caught at the end. You know, once they you know, you can see like I I can see how people don't know what's going on, because if you're trying to just do what you have to do. But Mm -hmm. can you imagine just trying to say to somebody like these 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 people in power, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Matt Lauer or Bill Cosby. This guy did this to me. Nobody's going to believe you. Right. It's all boys network. 
Right. And then and they'll do I, the thing where they um, what do they do? They like push your buttons. They do cops do that all the time. It's annoying. Or they, they just drag out. They try to distract people by yeah. you know, bringing out all the dirt in the person's background. And that's what I wrote about in the book, because um, that's what t- they did to Tamara Green. You know, they just just brought out everything that they ever done that had nothing to do with what she said Cosby did to her 30 years prior to discredit her. And I remember going to the Delilah Rumberg. She was head of the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Rape and the National Sexual Violence Resource Center back then. I'm like, well, does any of this matter, Delilah, to about the rape allegations? And she said, no, you know, uh, prostitutes can be raped. You oh, know, yeah. Because of rape shield laws, you know, they're not attorneys aren't allowed to bring the stuff up in court. So instead they leak it all to the media and let the media run with it. And every single time the media runs with it and it just has nothing to do about now if they've, you know, have a history of making false accusations against people for sexual assault, maybe that's relevant, but, but everything that happened afterward doesn't have any relevance to it. But sexual assault has this, has this high standard for who you have to be to be believed. And, but the ironic part is, and I write about this in the book is, you know, Andrea Constan was that person. There were no skeletons in her closet, none. And she um, turned down an offer of money from him that he tried to give to her to drop the criminal case, basically, although he didn't say that specifically, she wouldn't do it because she wanted the criminal justice system to handle him. And it didn't matter because the Cosby people then made up lies about her and the media ran with it. Yeah. I mean, she was that victim. There was not one skeleton in that woman's closet at 30 years old. Not well, once. You know, like I can't watch the Cosby show ever again. <laughs> I, and I, I could still if I came across it until, you know, it was like March of 2018 before his second trial. And I, the, the Gloria Allred documentary was on Netflix. And I was yeah. watching it before she, you know, took some of the cases, uh, started representing the women in 2014. And all of a sudden they showed a clip of the zany Mrs. Minifield, who, and I remembered her from the Cosby show. There are a few guest starring roles that I remember, but I remember it because she was so adorable and so funny. Yeah. yeah. And it turned out it was Lily Bernard who I'd gotten to know through the case. I'm like, Oh my God, not her too. You know, I was just, I was just like, not her too. And then Jennifer Thompson, who was Jane Doe number two, she sent me, you can see her in the background as an extra in an episode. I think it's Theo's graduation. You can see her walking to her locker. Okay. And so, because there was one modeling agency that was sending him several teen women um, a week to meet with him privately at, at, where he was filming um, the Cosby show in, in Queens. And some of them later came forward and they were some of his victims. So oh, after I, that, I, I was yeah. like, I can't watch it because I'm always going to be looking in the background going, was she a victim? Was yeah. Victim? It, oh, yeah. So it's, it, you know, it's not, unfortunately, it's not um, unbelievable. But it just shows you how much power people have and what they can mm-hmm. do with it. And it can it's scary. You know, it's scary if 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 you go to the police and nobody wants to believe you. What made you write? What made you interested in Aaron and Denise's story? Well, actually, um, my agent at the time. Uh, someone had uh, come to her with they had they had come to her via someone else and which they needed. They, they were going to try to write it themselves, but they're not. Writers, they, you know, yeah, they needed. I mean, who, I, you know, it's it's an, a di- totally different writing style to learn, even writing a book from magazines and newspapers. So, and I was initially, you know, immediately like, yes, oh my god, you know, I remembered the case. I didn't remember all the details of it, but right. you know, I, when I left, people, I got uh, re-engineered, as they called it, in 2017. Um, and I was just like, from now on, you know, I, I'm only going to do projects I'm passionate about. Oh yeah, and I yeah. immediately was like, it wasn't a big, I mean, I didn't make much at all from it but it wasn't about that it was like it was such an outrageous case and I really just wanted to help them tell their story so it was just outrageous on so many levels and I got to know them really well become friends with them since and they are two of the most kindest most decent hardworking people they are I mean look at what they were doing I mean their job was healing people like they didn't they didn't just do physical therapy for people, which is an on- admirable, honorable job as it is, but they dealt with people who were like recovering from strokes or, you know, yeah. traumatic brain industry injuries or burn victims, you know, like the most damaged of people and, and then helping them reclaim their lives. That takes a special, as a job, it takes a special kind of person to do. And, and that's who they were. So, you know, it was just extraordinary to me that they could have been treated that way. I just. Right. I and well, and not even by and, the police, by their employer, yeah. too. 
Yeah. And then by the media, the media just kind of running with it. And, uh, you know, should see, you can still see that Kenny Park press conference on YouTube. It's out there, that video. Oh, and they're, I saw it. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, they're kind of laughing. They're like, hey, hey, hey. you know, they're just going right along with the cops. And no one questioned them. No one said, well, why would they do this? You know, and again, you know, in the heat of the moment, these things get done. I mean, look at Richard Jewell. I watched his. Yeah, there was uh, the scripted version of his case on Netflix not too long ago when I watched it. And of course, it turned out that Eric Rudolph was the bomber, not him. And he was he really truly was the hero as he'd been portrayed at the very yeah. beginning. But he says in there, I don't know if this is a real line of his or they, the script writers made it up. But he said, you know, I, I know that in some people's minds, no matter what, they're always going to think I did this. Oh, and that course. kind of damage is virtually impossible to undo. And, you know, Aaron and Denise, to this day, if you and we point this out in the book, because they told me they said, if you Google Aaron Quinn, physical therapist, or this was while we were writing the book, maybe different now, but Aaron Quinn, physical therapist or Denise Huskins, physical therapist, what pops up are the scam stories. Yeah, because yeah. in the follow up stories that were done when Mueller was arrested, nobody was mentioning their professions anymore. Yeah, I it, it's true. You know what happens when you when you Google it? Um, well, that's how I found out that you wrote a book about it. Your, the book comes up now, but when then when you go to page two, it's all the, the all the stories, all the nonsense, gone girl, gone girl, gone girl, all that. Yeah, that's yeah. like the, yeah, the like the algorithm for Google is like perp, <laughs> you know? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, it's uh, and gone girl. I mean, it's such a it was such a popular movie. It had just come out. The book was popular. Um, you know, that kind of damage. It changed them and 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 they're still incredible people and they've worked so hard to overcome what happened to them, but it changed who they were. And Andrea Constance, same thing. I oh, mean, yeah. she was dragged through the mud by the media in 2005. Her name, you know, normally you don't use the names of sexual assault victims. The right. media did not. Yeah. Well, yeah. that changed. I let, and you, that you can see all the interviews. I, a lot of the interviews I was doing in 2005 when I was being skewered by the rest of the media are on my website. Mm-hmm. And you can see I'm in there. I'm going, all the journalistic rules have gotten thrown out in yeah. this case. I don't get it. Like you don't reveal a sexual assault victim's identity without their consent. And pretty soon the um, the newspapers and media were using her name and photo without her consent. Yeah. And then just, you know, these stories accusing her mother of blackmailing. I mean, this is why she won her lawsuit. I say one, I mean, she settled out of court, but I mean, I think he knew he was going to lose it. And that's why, you know, they settled for 3.38 million. Um, but you, it's, she changed her. You talked to Gianna, which I have her mom and it, it just, it changed who she was, who she is. She's in a good place now. She just wrote her own book and she's got a foundation she's helped doing to help others. But still, I mean, and I, I can, I didn't know Aaron and Denise before, just like I didn't know Andrea before, but you know, you can understand why they would be wary with people and. Oh and yeah, absolutely. And. I mean, how can you not be when your whole world gets turned upside down like that? You don't know who to trust. I mean, your own family, of course, but you can trust. But everybody else. And then you start to question, too. You know, then you like you can potentially you could feel like you're getting gaslighted. You could lose your mind. Well, and that's what happened to them over and over yeah. again. And even still, you know, at, at, at the second trial um, for Cosby, uh, his he had Tom Mezzaro, who was Michael Jackson's attorney, got him acquitted and. His whole thing was like, oh, she was out for money. She's a con artist, Andrea Constant. And I'm sitting there going, okay, let's be logical here. This is 2018. If she were out for money, she got her money in 2006. She got 3.38 million. Why is she here? And why is she doing this? Not just once, but twice. Because remember, there was a mistrial. And then this was the second trial. Because it's so much fun to be called a con artist and headlines all over the world. I mean, there there was just absolutely nothing to support this, this allegation, but for sexual assault victims, like I said, there's this high standard that, you know, like Tamara said in the live event we did for chasing Cosby podcast, you know, if you're a burglary victim, you have enough to prove you're a perfect person to be believed, but with sexual assault you do. And, and I write about that in the book, like why do is there's this inherent distrust of sexual assault claims when false yeah. sexual assault reports. I mean, the studies have said are between five and 10% of all of them. It's extraordinarily low. So and they're easy to unravel when they do happen. I mean, that Dr. Ziv, who was a sexual assault expert at the second trial, mm-hmm. uh, also works on cases, you know, where there's false reports of sexual assault. And, you know, she talked about one case that she worked on and, you know, it, it started to unravel because she said, what you find out is that, that sexual assault victims can can be inconsistent about like because of the trauma, 
certain details about things, but not about the sexual assault itself. They remember, unless they were drugged, of course. Right, but right, right. They were, those are the details that they remember. And that, that's where she, I think the one she was telling us about it was the woman kept changing the, the, you the can pattern tell. of events where it happened. Yeah. You know, it was just like she told a different version of the story each time. Not like Andrea's me- memory was spotted because of the trauma and because of the drugs. And she was unsure about when it had happened at first. But she's always been consistent about exactly what she said happened that night. What she wasn't sure about were the dates because of, you know, the trauma of everything and the drugs, you know. And she had spent the whole year trying to get it out of her head. And she was having nightmares about other women being sexually assaulted. And it was her fault because she hadn't come forward. She was waking up screaming in her sleep and her parents and sobbing and her parents would hear her because she was living with them while she went back when she went to massage school. Yeah. You know, again, it's I'm I'm going to let you go because I know you're, you know, busy and stuff like that. But I, and I really do appreciate you. I, I had I'm really interested talking to you because, again, the book, both books are so detailed and it's um, and you can just see like it's 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 frustrating. I get frustrated. I was getting frustrated. Like when I was reading the book, I was getting frustrated because, like you said, not again, you know, right like in 2020, it'll only turn around for a minute. Right. Right. <laughs> And it's the other, you know, they think there were at least two other people there. They're still out there. It's such a mess. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But the whole Cessna thing is weird. Um, you know, Moeller plays this cat and mouse game, as I wrote in the epilogue, with leaking these little details out. And he speculates in a filing that perhaps the person behind this was the one that hired his team was the cop that, you know, the intended victim was having an affair with and the did it to scare her back into his arms. Um, I don't know that in some ways that doesn't make sense because then he would have known that she wasn't there that night. Um, But he, he plays these little games, you know, he plays these little games. 